Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. So I keep seeing more, uh, some more of your videos coming out with, with you actually in the, or some videos from a tree stand. Have you actually got out, got to do some hunting now since the last time we talked? I have, yeah, yeah. I uh, I brought it out. Um, a lot of it was just testing and working. Unfortunately, I didn't just get out to go hunting in general as much as I wanted to. We just had so much this year between the you know, the birth of the, our daughter. Um, we bought a house and started this whole thing all within course of seven months six months somewhere in that time frame and it's just been you know non-stop so uh i tried to get out as much as i could um but i a lot of it was in uh you know small uh, patch of woods behind the house a lot of it was kind of testing and um really kind of operating there uh and whatnot but yeah i, I was able to bring it out a few times so a good deal Good deal. It counts for something. Hell, I wish I had a small patch of woods behind my house. I go behind my house and I got a small patch of houses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen uh, one of his TikToks or Instagram reels or something. Somebody had had some like smart stuff to say and he was like, tell that to all the deer underneath me. And he had like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> Ten deer underneath his stand. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I try not to, I try not to feed into the, you know, the negative comments. I get it. I mean, Hey, you can't control anybody. You can't make everybody happy. So, I mean, I try not to even entertain them, but occasionally uh, I get a little, I get a little froggy. Sometimes the Marine kind of comes out and I'm like, Oh man, yeah. my wife's usually, my wife's usually like, Hey, don't do that. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. Just one. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not <laughs> I had, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about somebody was trying to talk trash about or something i said oh hey say what you want just spell my name right yeah yeah exactly what's that bad publicity is uh there's no no publicity no such thing as bad but well there is bad but yeah talk good about us talk bad about us just so long as you're talking about us right yeah exactly but so we're here this evening i'm your host will krebs i got jordan with me i'm here let's get it we got jim the doe slayer yes sir tree stand Grand Champ Doe Slayer, Seminole yeah. Forest. <laughs> and uh, speaking of deer hunting, we've got uh, Rob Grand Champ with Gilly Puck. Yes, sir. And, you know, I, I saw your stuff on Facebook, and I see it actually sitting behind you back there. That is not a great background yeah. for that to blend into, but it works. <laughs> uh, it's aesthetically pleasing, even in the office. That's it. Uh, but yeah, I, saw, my- you know, I saw you first on TikTok uh, and then Instagram and 
like Jordan said, ever since we talked to you, it's just been popping up left and right and left and right and left and right and left and right. Uh, but it's a cool product, man. And I, I like it because it's the, especially down here. Well, for starters, tell us what it is. Okay. So Gilly puck, it's a, it's completely customizable, uh, portable, uh, tactical backdrop. So, um, a little bit about it is, uh, you know, a little background on it. I was just out of the, uh, the Marine Corps, <clears throat> excuse me, just out of the Marine Corps. And I knew nobody in New York. My wife's from New York. I'm from Massachusetts. Um, so when I came, came and lived here, I knew nobody had no, really no place to hunt. And, uh, I just started hunting that too. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty new in the hunting world as well. Um, I had a small five acre parcel behind the, uh, behind her in-laws or my in-laws rather house that I was, I got permission to hunt. It was, uh, the neighbor that backed up to them. The only problem was it was a flat and then a hill and all the deer would, you know, walk along the hill and they would turn and there was no backdrop. And every time I would just get, get blown out. So I was like, man, <clears throat> excuse me. If only I had something to really break up my silhouette up here it would, uh, you know, be super beneficial. And they kind of all stemmed from there. And I was like, there's different trees out here. Cause I mean, there was maple Oak, I had spruce, there was a pine. And I was like, there's, there's really, there's so many trees, but they're all kind of sporadic and where I needed to be in order to, to get a shot. Cause I don't, I only bow hunt. And so, I mean, then to get an effective range for a shot, I was like, I didn't be up close and personal. I need something that can really, you know, break up my silhouette up here in the tree. And that's when I started, you know, designing this, except it was a, it was a wooden block at one time when I first started designing. <laughs> so what's it made of now? Uh, now we have a, a poly blend. Um, uh, so it's a yeah, PVC blend with aluminum um, core and it's, yeah. And it's got, um, it's got aluminum, Studs, uh, twist like twist lock, yeah. Studs on. Yeah, yeah. That thing looks sweet. So imagine a hockey thank puck you, with yeah. a center piece. Yep, and then and the uh, studs coming the reason, in on eight sides, ten sides. Yes, exactly, eight sides. Yep, yeah. So it's like a little octagon um, with a slight slant going up to kind of bring the branches in forward a little bit, hand them in, and the. Uh, the centerpiece is uh, its function is to attach it and lock it into a camera system. So any kind of you know camera or you oh, know no, any kind of tripod oh, nice. system. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's where, so uh, are you using that in a tree stand or are you using that on a ground blind? How, how are you? Or I guess point, e- either camera or. system. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, was the easy. I believe makes like a, a swing arm that comes around um, kind of like the bow hangers, the easy oh, bow yeah, hangers. Yeah. They have one that they have with a, it's got a camera stud on it. So you can mount your camera to it and kind of move it around. Um, and I'm sure there's other things for self filming and whatnot. So I was trying to design something where, you know, cause not everybody wants to, you know, everybody has their own favorite tripod, their own favorite camera. Right. Mount. So I just wanted something that somebody could adapt it put this on it. So now, you know, they put the little ball pin on the back of it. They can attach it to their tripod. They can attach it to their, 
camera mounts up in the tree. I mean, you can kind of, if you're sitting down, you're turkey hunting, you can kind of maneuver it to kind of whatever position you hear you a turkey coming that. from. Yeah, to William's little tiny tripod. I mean, that's just a little, like a little, a, yeah. wrap that around the front of a climber. Just high enough for yeah. turkey hunting. Yeah, or yep. that too. Yeah. Huh. What I'm yeah, thinking. Turkey hunting. You, I was just on your side for a little bit. <clears throat> Do you have pine bows? So we, uh, we are, we are in the process of ordering. Um, we've gotten several requests for, uh, pine bows. We've gotten, you know, spruce. So we got, uh, we got quite a bit coming up the, the line right now. The reason I ask is a lot of us down here in the South, if you're using a climber stand, there's pretty much one tree. It's a pine tree. Yeah. yeah it's a, yeah. it's a, and there ain't nothing till you get to the top. Right. So and, you're usually trying to find is, a pine tree with a little tree in front of it, but now you could. If you had that, you could jack up the tree, any pine tree, and then run a few, run one or two of those things, get yourself a little nest halfway up that pine tree and really be. That's the first thing. So I thought two things when I saw this thing. The first thing I thought was, I need one because, and the thing too is the pine trees, man. Yeah. You don't understand. When I say we have pine trees, you'll sit there and we, I've literally stared at 250 acres of nothing but. 60 foot tall pine trees with limbs only at the very top and the rest is palmetto flat underneath. And the Long needle pines. That, the, the, pine, the pines that they used to build ship masts out of like the USS Constitution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The deer move through okay. those palmettos and you can't hide there. You just have to hope to be very still. It is extremely hard to find cover. But if you can create cover, yeah, then, then you got something. Or, you know, you, you've got plenty of setups where... This setup is perfect as long as the wind is coming from that direction. Only if I if only I could sit in the tree on the other side when the wind was wrong for that tree, then you know, it'd be great. So now you're waiting for the wind to just be perfect to hunt that one tree and get in there and kill a deer. Because there's no cover yeah. on the other side. But you can carry your cover. And then two, I told the man I was like, You gotta get some palm meadows. Yeah. I was probably thirty yeah. feet in the air tonight for that same reason, just because to get any cover at all for where I wanted to sit, I had to get way high so that the smaller pine tree yeah. near the tree that I was at would give me something. And you know, I don't really like being 30 feet off the ground. I would, you know, most time I'm 15 feet, but tonight just because of the little pinch point that I was hunting and where I wanted to be, it, it was get high. But well, if I had, had a off. system like that, I, yeah, it did. I mean, we had paidered, but if I had something like that, I wouldn't have to been, had to been that high. Right. Say, I can't tell you how many times I've been <clears throat> on public land here in Florida looking at a spot and been like, man, that is literally the perfect tree to hunt this area. Yeah. It just has no cover. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of, like I said, that's really what sparked me to, to create this. And I, I started thinking, I mean, eventually I started networking and uh, my first uh, employer here, who was a big hunter. So he kind of got me in the ropes of everything. And uh, I really took off from there and i was like man i really just want to i want to help people um especially like new hunters that are just getting started they might not have that big you know 150 acre parcel 100 acre parcel 50 acre parcel whatever and might not feel comfortable enough going into public lands by themselves or something like that and they're kind of uh right right in the same situation where i was and it's like man, i got this little little opportunity right here but uh you know, to try to get them, you know, new and tenured hunters, the, you know, the as much of an advantage as possible to, to get in there and get a successful harvest. So you said you just started deer hunting not too long ago. 
Yeah, 2018. Um, again, the day I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to the well, I got, when I came back and got my wife or whatever. Next day, I went out and got a bow, and that was it. Just it was game over from love there. Ever since, huh? So love ever since, and uh, yeah, my wife's uh, hated it ever since. <laughs> so, so what drew you to deer hunting? Did I mean when you got out? What well, was like? I got to go get a bow and go hunt. I, you know, I, I've always taken interest in hunting. I mean, even growing up, just shooting squirrels and whatnot. Um, but I've never, I've never, I've always just wanted to hunt. I've just never had friends that were big hunters or anything like that. And, uh, so I guess kind of coming out and just being on my own and kind of doing my own thing. I was like, you know, I'm going to get into hunting. I need a hobby. I need something to kind of keep my mind, you know keep my mind on something. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my focus towards hunting and yeah, it's, that's how that started. Heck yeah. Yeah. Gotta love that. You said you grew up in Massachusetts. I did. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, far Western, as far Western and North as you can go right on the border of Vermont and New York, a uh, small little town of, uh, North Adams. Well, it's not too small anymore, but trying to think of some of the towns that i've been i've been through several of them but i don't know if i've been through north adams yeah i don't know that i've ever been to massachusetts i don't think i've ever been to that part of the country well <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing turnpike <laughs> runs right through the middle of it uh, <laughs> east to west i don't know Mass if we Pike. went through i don't know if we went through massachusetts I don't, I don't, i'm not familiar with the crammed together geography of the northeast uh intimately familiar with it when i went from kentucky to um Kentucky to New York, Rhode Island to the south. Uh, I know Vermont. All, all I remember, and in, New if I did go through Massachusetts, I probably slept through it. Connecticut to the south on a bus. <laughs> yeah, on a bus. Uh, all I remember was waking up the next morning in New Jersey and seeing other people pump other people's gas for them, and I thought that a very odd thing. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was different. My my wife. Uh... You know, I didn't know any better. Same thing, Massachusetts, and we pump our own gas, at least the part that I'm from. And so when I went to get out, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what you, I'm pumping my gas. And she's like, and she's like, no, 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 they do it here. I'm like, no, I can do it. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you're not allowed to do it. And I'm like, well, that just doesn't make any sense at all. So. They don't want you to pump your gas. That was a mess. Wait, uh, the New only Jersey. So yeah, it I've been, it's been a while since I've been to Jersey, but the, the last time I actually saw full service gas pumps was in Massachusetts. There's a few of them out around Boston. I don't. I mean, I may that. be wrong, but I don't think yeah. it's legal to pump your own gas in New Jersey. No, I think you're right. Yeah, that yeah. would kind of bother me because I'm one of those people that's like, if I hit you know fifty bucks, I'm trying to put fifty five dollars in it. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine how that would go, yeah. sir. Sir, you're you're not trained. Dude. This is you're not properly trained. <laughs> Get away from me, creep! You think they'd fight you as bad as the woman who wants to check your receipt at Walmart after you go through the self checkout? I don't know, man. Oh man! <laughs> Pump a gas for forty years, son. Yeah. But I, I I recognize some of the the look of those woods. You know, I spent a few months up in New York around the West Point area, and you see those random stone walls just built to the mountains from the Revolutionary War. And I saw some of your videos, yeah. and I was like, "That's yep, I remember crap like that." No, oh, yeah, yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. So, have you been lucky enough to harvest since you've uh, started hunting? 
Yeah. Um, let's see. This place is kind of a kind of a mess, but uh, I've gotten I've gotten a couple bucks every uh, every year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Shoot yeah. Ya. I can. Di- I like uh, that. Uh, I like that wood mount you got. Say, is that your that supposed to be like your ranking? No, yeah. ironically, no. Uh, but not the Air Force yeah, I guess. Direction. Yeah, wow. yeah. If it was upside down, yeah, that would have been. I was a sergeant, so that would have been it. But no, my uh, my wife made that. I was like, oh, yeah, no, it actually looks pretty pretty neat. And, uh, Go back to those, man. You got some wide yeah. spreads there. Yeah, they are real wide. Yeah, yeah. They're they're all. I think the center ones. Uh, the or the sorry, the one over here. It's an eight. Back. Yeah, eight, yeah. a six, and a five. We're, we're all uh, eight, six, and a seven. That seven oh, one's nice. like a 20, 21 inch spread or twenty. Yeah, Good. Yeah, Are all of yeah. those taken from the same property? Uh yes. Uh, no, sorry. The one in the center with the plaque—that was my very first year hunting. Um, I got my first buck, which is out in my living room. Got a shoulder mount for that. Um, six pointer as well. Uh, I got that one, and then a week later. Uh, this guy came came running through and uh, got him at 10 yards. That was my very first year. And then the other two um, the, on the both ends, at a three-and-a-half-year-old was on uh, my buddy uh, Mikey's property. who's next county over. Sounds like you had a uh, heck of a year your first year there. Yeah, it was a pretty It was pretty hard to beat that one. It was kind of like <laughs> – Archery yeah, hunting is easy. Yeah. <laughs> Come down here, I'll give you yeah. two months, but you only got to yeah. kill one deer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Bring two your thermostat. Yeah. Yeah. We can't kill. Well, can you guys kill does up there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they give you, uh, I think you can apply for two tags. They give you an either sex tag, and you can apply for your doe tags, which I've never not got my doe tags. Um, everybody I know has always got their doe tags. And then at, this uh, November first, I believe. Um, could be wrong on the date, but I know it's sometime in November. You're allowed to reapply for two more. Nice. nice. So I think Florida works as uh, you can't kill like our closest. We have a national forest. I think it's like sixty thousand acres right here near us, and nice, nice. you can't kill does there. But private land has like a doe week where you can kill does. Uh, you can kill does during archery on some WMAs in private land, mm-hmm. and then some WMAs offer a uh, like a doe tag, which is Jim just had, so he was able to shoot a doe tonight. Oh no, cool! Awesome. Well, so. if you guys ever want to slay some does, there's a uh, plenty plenty up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult is it for a couple? Because you're in New York, right? Yes. Yeah. Got a couple questions. How difficult is it for a foreigner to get, when I say foreigner, I mean somebody from Florida, to get a tag in in New York? And uh, then the second, New York, well, they they treat firearms a little differently than they do down here. (laughs) Yeah, just slightly. Can you you bring a rifle into New York without undue fanfare? That is a good question. Um, I haven't tried to smuggle one into New York. No, I, mean, I don't mean smuggling. No, no. Because no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we drove to Maine, and I remember because we went through New York, I think it was New York and, and New Jersey, that you had to have your gun 
not accessible from the cab. Yeah, that sounds and about in, right. And in its own box, and the box had to be locked. It was basically like you were flying. Yeah, and that it's got to be – it's something uh, um, absolutely ridiculous. Like it's like in the trunk of your car, locked up, and then the magazine has to be in a separate box with its own separate lock. Um, I, I, I can't – I can't speak too intelligently on that. Um, I can understand why you'd rather bow hunt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not the, I, I live in uh, probably one of the only, uh, you know, red counties in this part of New York. Um, so it's, uh, this is a pretty good county that we're in. Uh, but I mean, everywhere else is, it's insane. I was a, I was a marksman and, uh, you know, uh, weapons instructor in the marine corps and when i got out and i tried to get my pistol permit here i was up in uh one of the other neighboring counties at first and i go to get my pistol permit they're like well you need to take a course and i'm like no no like i'm a, I'm a firearms instructor and he's like that doesn't matter and i was like i'm like so i gotta take a course to for how long he's like it's like a you know few weeks course you gotta i'm like I'm like, yeah, no offense. I could probably teach a couple of your guys a thing or two, but, uh, <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up coming down to this County and this County was, uh, this County's pretty good. Yeah, we got a, there's some good people here. It's a lot of, a lot of, it's a mix. There's a lot of this farm. It's uh, a little more rural here. So yeah, where's good. the, what town or what city is the closest to you? What part of New York are uh, you in? I, I think all this is a city. Um, you know, my town growing up was real small again, in comparison to New York, but I'm in i uh, I'm in a town called Hopewell. It's like just South of, uh, Poughkeepsie. Okay. So you're still Southern New York. Yeah. Yeah. They would, uh, it depends which part of New York you're from. If you're from the city, this is, I mean, you Way might as well state. be up in, you might as well so, be in Canada. What part of New York are you from? Well, I was born in Broome County in Binghamton. And then, okay. Uh, I spent my youth in genesee county which is between buffalo and rochester and then came down here as a kid when i was a kid in western new york i remember when they went from having a doe day to like three doe days (laughs) and when they did that you'd have thought that the united states had just won world war (laughs) three holy started it well maybe no but i'm like god I'm not kidding. I'm, you understand. T- tiny town, one stoplight, mile by mile, Corfu, New York, C-O-R-F-U. Um, yeah. I remember guys like parading down the street in their pickup trucks. <laughs> it, was, it was a big deal. They gave you school off and everything for it? Um, not officially, but. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was there. There were so. a fair number of absences on opening day. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, it, it is bewildering when you say New York and everybody immediately draws to you know, the city, and then you go, you go an hour north of the city, and it's just, you know, there's Orange County, it's just all farmland. There's uh, right above Westchester, I mean, it comes into Dutchess County, and then anything north of that, I mean, you're talking, it, it's just, it's, you know, God's country out there. I mean, uh, yeah. we, we deal with the same thing here when you talk to people, you know, when I moved out of Florida, lived outside of Florida for eight years, and then I'm like, oh, where are you from? I'm from Florida. Oh, Orlando? I'm like, no. So the oh, beach, so Miami? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, you live on the beach then? N- nope. Uh, I live out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. When I was a, when I was a kid moving down here, people figured that I grew up in concrete, and I was like, 
No, man, where I was, we all got work permits at 12 so we could just start moving hay. <laughs> yeah. And it was, yeah. a, it was a big deal at 14 when you got the tractor permit. Is <laughs> he so drive the tractor? Yeah, 14, man. It was a big deal. And, and I'm telling you, when you were on the Kern, Kern cattle farm and the kid turned 14 and got his tractor permit, he got about six inches taller, chest all puffed out. And everybody was like, ooh, we got the tractor permit. It was a, it was a big deal, man. All of, all of us 13-year-olds were like, I can't wait till I'm 14. <laughs> yeah. Picking strawberries for 25 cents a quart. Probably eating one for every one you picked. That's New York. So uh, I want to hear, I mean, I, I know we've heard your story of why you made the ghillie puck. Yeah. But I want to hear, like, your story of making it itself. I mean, you, you said the first one started wood. Yeah, it went from wood to clay to. Hold up, you made it out of clay at one point. Yeah, I got it. I've got them both downstairs. I should have brought them up. Did you go to the um, go to like the pottery barn and they're like, "We're gonna make vases tonight." And you're like, "Nope, <laughs> I'm making a ghillie puck." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can show you if you want. It's taking a couple seconds to run down and grab yeah, them. But... Run down there and grab those, and we'll we'll wait. I'll put it on pause. Uh, yeah. All right, give me one second, guys. Uh, oh, excuse me. Yeah. So, so here's uh, here's the very first one. Excuse me. Uh, yes, this one right here was the very first one that I made, and uh, I I was sitting in uh, sitting in a tree. I got I got blown out by a doe, and I saw a buck after her and she she blew took off buck took off and i was so upset i got down i like went inside and i just got a saw and just started you know sawing away at this thing until until this came about and it's not as crude uh, as i expected it to be no it was uh yeah it was a little Okay, so do these branches they yeah. screw so onto it? I would say, what are your first one? Are those like bolts that you had something that screwed onto, or? Yeah, first one was. Uh, let's see if I can get that a little closer. Oh for yeah, you guys. yeah, yeah, oh, those yeah. are threaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These were threaded, and I just uh, I found these little inserts and stuff, and I wasn't sure. I was kind of testing everything out. Um, yeah. yeah, I knew I wanted to do, you know, some kind of flat surface. With a you know polarity sides, but so what we're looking at again is that same octagon shape. There is a center mount so that you can put it on some kind of stud or pole, and then there's out of each side there's a there's there's thread there's a threaded stud stud so that you can then screw your tree limbs. Oh yeah, you had it on an eyeball. Yeah. 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 Nice. So is yeah, the is the is... is the current product got threads on it as well? No, they're they're like a locking system. Oh, okay. So this. Oh, quick release. Here, brought, yeah. So I brought. Um, so these are the branches right here. So I mean, essentially at the. Say so just the, you know I so I hand make all of these right here. Um. Then you just take it, jam that in there, you know, mold it to however you want it, and then all it is there's two little. Where's the camera? There we go. Two little gaps right there. Line them up. With yeah, it's a it's a quick release system. Oh, yeah. studs. Yeah, that's it. That clips Twist. right on. Slide it on. Give it a turn. Locked in place. Heck so you could have whatever branches you want uh, coming off of your. So we we were also chatting. Will you mentioned duck hunting? Yeah, like that'd yeah. be a game changer. 
yeah. especially for wade-in hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of places where you wade in and you're like, oh, God, well, you're I trying to see hide a lot in the from reeds. here. Yeah. <clears throat> you try to hide in the reeds or um, where the reeds are thick enough to hide in, it's too deep to stand. And then where it's shallow enough to stand and not drown yourself, it's there's not a lot of cover. <laughs> and, you know, ducks, their eyes, deer aren't easy to fool. But ducks sure aren't easy to fool. Especially on the vision. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when by the time they get all the way down to Florida. They've had all the education yeah. they need to know what to look for yeah. by the time they get here. But even in boat hunting, to have that, to fill in like the center, like you had two guys in a boat, drop that in the center to flush, you know, flush out or fill in the Not the even in the, the center, boat. dude. I could take a couple of those and stick them on my motor. Yep. Yeah. And cover my motor. Great. You know, I see that a lot of a lot of guys spend a lot of time really bl- blinding in the front of their boat, but the ducks fly overhead and they're looking right down in it. Right. There's your there's your solution without having to, you know, get crazy with the big overhangs and things you see guys doing. You ever hunted out of Matt's boat? Matt Harvin's I have not. Boat? His blind, well, used to. I'm not sure if it's completely falling apart now, but the way his blind was set up, it had a piece that pulled over you and then left you holes to sit in which kind of helps eliminate some of that, but still, it's not perfect. No, they're bulky. That breaks down. Yeah. Store that in a, wet, in a dry box. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I could put his whole ghillie puck system, I could put several of his whole ghillie puck systems in my gun box. Yeah. Yeah, this thing uh, this thing is pretty pretty compact, and it's it's almost comical kind of watching. You know, I don't like read the negative comments too much, but... Uh, just occasionally I'll go in there. I mean, a lot of times these guys are, you know, giving you ideas on how you can make it better. And it's, it's in turn, they're trying to tell you how dumb the, they think the product is. Yeah. And they, they just told you how to improve it. It's like, all right, thank you. But, um, but yeah, so it really is, you know, I haven't, I haven't rolled out a video yet. I'm going to do that this weekend, kind of how it really compacts and, uh, and is able to pack out. Um, I did have one video where I just had it stuffed in a backpack. That was kind of, uh, <clears throat> just more wasn't less of it was more of just a, a functionality and less of how i actually pack in um but yeah i mean once i put the you know the, the strap around the puck and it wraps right around the, the eight branches you know and then I, I can roll up the leaves in like a, a towel or something like that so it really you know it becomes like a cylinder you know it can get about as wide as this can and you can really kind of sneak right in there and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Especially since there's such a huge thing in the hunting industry today is to get lighter. Right. Right. So, I mean, that, that all, everything, your whole system weighs nothing. Yeah. I think the, the whole system is, God, with an extra set of branches, I think it's under, I think it's just, just under a pound. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know then, who, who would rag on that though. I, I guess people rag on just about yeah, people rag like, on anything, yeah. man. I guess if you're a guy that you know has the luxury of hunting permanent blind, you know, hotel, hotel Hilton, you know, three chair deep stands on corn, you don't need something like that. But you spend any time on public land, and especially if you're hunting a lot of pine. I, the only problem is I yeah. see I see an awful lot of reds and stuff that we don't get down here. We need some green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have we have green we have greens. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, 
definitely we definitely got a, a lot of pine coming in right now um due to due to requests and stuff so i mean we're getting a lot of pine scr leaves well, i was gonna say the branches that he has there behind him where we hunted this past oh, weekend, yeah you're right there's a lot of turkey oak and you could have hit you're right easy in that turkey oak with that it was it was changing like that it well i guess that's probably the first time i can really ever say i've seen them change like that yeah normally leaves those on turkey the, on oaks do that though, yeah they fall in the spring well you uh, you walk out. So you're like, man, look at that. It's here. It is January. Dang thing still got leaves on it. Go to bed. Wake up the next morning. You're like, where'd the leaves go? <laughs> They're all in the yard. <laughs> they literally just the whole tree bare overnight. You're like, oh, all right. Three days later, it's got new buds. You're like, okay, good. We're starting over. All right, sweet. <laughs> yeah, uh, Florida seems like it's uh, definitely got its uh, its challenges down there. It's it's uh it's different. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it is a, a totally different type of hunting, uh, and I, I would almost say a different style of hunting than than anywhere I've hunted right. before. Any laws of how you think deer move and use terrain and all that it changes here. It's very different. I love reading guys from Montana when it gets up to like sixty three talking about it's too hot. <laughs> I just killed a deer. We're, we're I just killed a deer at eighty three in December. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I say because we have deer in rut from July to about February, February, late February, early March. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so South Florida starts in July, and then like our Panhandle area towards like Louisiana, Alabama, uh, is around February. So as you go north, it kind of moves later into the season. We've already been through our rut here, which was early November. Okay. Yeah. But it's very well that they may even go back into another rut again. They do it sometimes. Now, Every thirty days. And the the thing is, yeah. is you have down in South Florida, you know, typically when you're looking at a white tailed deer rut, then the rut hits, it, it has a lot to do with the fawn's gonna drop at peak nutrition when they can have you know, the doe has a lot to forage on to make milk and the this the best time right. of year for that. In South Florida, they go into rut so the the fawn drops when it's dry. Because its biggest killer, besides the big cats, is water. Right. Right there. That makes sense. They will drown because water levels are going up and everything's flooded. You're hunting giant grass swamps and stuff like that. And you get up here into the Central Florida area around where we're at, and it's more of a typical, uh, not, I don't think anything ever We're in like really... more of northern central, but up here we're, we're in like a, what, it's what we locally call the scrub. Which right. would be like when everything was flooded, this was land. Correct. So there's a lot of uh We're at the top sand. of the sandbar. Yeah. Right. And then we have pine scrub, palmetto scrub, oak scrub, oak bottom, hydro hammocks. <laughs> it just goes on and on. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny because I was out there looking at bedding areas and they'll tell you, Oh dear they like to bet on this slope for the thermals and all that, dude. What south facing slope? I can't remember what slope it is. I found it. I found a deer bed on a slope, and I say a slope. It was a small rise in the middle of a giant flat area, just deer beds all down it. I was like, well, I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah. But there was not what I would generally call slope. Six feet of relief. <laughs> yeah, pretty much into <laughs> into a pond. Uh, but it's it's such a such a different 
area to hunt in. And the thing is, is like you'll and you'll find all this in one wildlife management area. One spot you're hunting heavy oaks, and you walk out, and next thing you know, it's 200 acres of palmetto flat. And then on the edge of that, you have a little oak scrub that kind of borders the edge. Step back in, you're in big heavy live oaks with you know palm double canopy palms on the bottom big heavy live oaks up top and then go a little further out and another spot it's the same you're in the cypress yeah cypress swamp yeah all of it (laughs) and listen all that i named off of one section of one wildlife management area that's that was that was like 800 acres out of over 10,000 all that existed inside that 800 acre parcel today i dragged that deer through cypress you just cypress, then through uh, live oak, and then out into the pines, and then finally into the palmetto to get to my truck. That was just one drag. <laughs> <laughs> but and then, now, do you do you find that that lack of, or I mean, do you find that not lack of, but uh, do you find that diversity beneficial, or do you find it? Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Find the acorns. Yeah. Low spots with acorns and then transition areas. There is so much to a certain extent. A lot of times hunting in Florida is like hunting in a phone booth because the idea of, Oh, I'm going to go look for 300 yards in a lot of the places. It just doesn't exist. You're you're going to get, you're looking for 30 yard openings and that's rifle season. So um, today, well today I hunted over a a hammock. So I, I did have, I was able to see further, but the nice thing about having all that cover is it also makes it pretty easy to see the travel corridors. They're highways. You, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of mystery. You don't know if they're going to move through there on that day, but you can tell fairly easily whether deer are moving through an area or not. It's just obvious. You'll see the footprints. Right. And the game trails are really distinct. I find that, you know... <clears throat> it proved successful for me and Jordan this year to hunt that transition area between yeah. scrub and, and, uh, the palmetto flat and they're coming out. They're kind of moving out in the palmetto flat. They bed out in that stuff. And that palmetto flat is palmetto, tall pine trees and, uh, some kind of grassy savanna areas. Some places you'll get in a palmetto flat and it is just straight. Nothing but can't hardly walk through it. Palmettos. And they're like wow. chest high. But those also make pinch okay. points. Right. You find really, really dense palmetto. And then there'll be yep. a ridge that'll be oaky. And there might be water on the other side of that. Hunt the ridge. Yeah. No, absolutely. But it's uh, it's it's definitely a challenge. And, this, and I mean, I, I've been hunting for better part of 25 years. And yep. this year, not exclusively in Florida, but this year was the first year I ever killed a deer here in my home state. Really? Yeah. But we went and dedicated a lot of time to hunting Florida this year versus anywhere yeah. else. We kind of grew up hunting in South Georgia, yep. uh, which is totally different. That's a lot of farmland and tall pines and tall oaks and just traditional, I would say, southern plantation woods. Pecan right, right. trees and peach orchards and stuff like that. <clears throat> stuff you're not going to find here in Florida. You find a big... When I think of traditional Florida, I think like that big open, like prairie land with a 
the palm the big tall palm trees yeah. going out of it with the oak hammock out in the middle and like like what we could see from the boat going to where we hunted. Yeah. Or like yeah. what we like what we hunted when we hunted out in uh the small game hunt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um uh, what was the name of that wildlife management area? Recently Seminole Ranch. Seminole Ranch. Seminole Ranch. Yeah, hunting out in Seminole Ranch. And everything here is wet. If you go hunting if you go squirrel hunting, you're gonna get wet. It's just deer hunting, quail hunting, snipe. Well, snipe, of course, you're gonna get wet, but you can't. You can't not get wet. You know what's funny? Of all the hunting we do, uh, you're gonna get wet. Deer hunting, squirrel hunting, all that stuff. But duck hunting, there's actually a chance you're probably gonna stay dry. Well, because we hunt primarily out of boats. Yeah, or, or you're hunting big waders. But that's yeah. just big boots. But what I mean is, even you know, like even if you didn't have waders on, you're, 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 there's a good chance other than getting kind of splashed on because we do yeah, hunt, we hunt, you know, boats. hunt ducks primarily out of boats. Now, do you primarily duck hunt in Florida or? Yeah, mo- yeah, for the most part, we yeah we've traveled a tad bit uh, this yeah. past this year. Uh, we went to North Carolina and uh, Alabama, a whole different. Yeah, we've been to Alabama. Uh, we've hunted a little bit in Georgia. Uh, I've been okay. to Texas once, but uh, most of my duck hunting happens right here in Florida. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've never been uh, duck hunting. In fact, I was just talking to a buddy of uh, mine the other day. <clears throat> he went in, and he was just, you know, we were talking about, you know, the, the difficulties. Like, yeah, the guy said, when he, like, he just tells me to shoot or don't shoot because he goes, the ability to be able to tell like male or female and just the different types of ducks and what you can't shoot on the fly. I'm like, I'm like, man, you gotta have, I gotta pray. I have to, my contacts don't fall out. <laughs> You'll pick that up quick though. When I, say, I first started hunting with these guys, to me, it was like, they, they all look like ducks pretty yeah. quickly. I was like, well, those are wood ducks. So there was wood ducks and there was other ducks. And then there was wood ducks, whistling ducks and other ducks. Oh, whistling ducks now are it's, the easiest ones to tell apart because they won't shut up. Yeah, they're giggle chickens. <laughs> but now, you know, but now it's, yeah, you know, I can tell real quick, teal. I mean, like if, if all of a sudden a canvas back flew through, I'd probably think it was a model. But no, on the you, wing, it's you pre- think it's a can. Trust me, because that. I, I ain't that never one, seen one. The one, uh, listen, the one canvas back I've ever shot, that one Drake I ever shot, as soon as I had never seen one before, as soon as I saw it, I was like, canvas back, boom, dead. Huh. It was more like canvas back. Well, yeah, I shot it off the water, but <laughs> I wasn't going to let it get away. Are you kidding me? I saw it, and I was like, canvas back. <laughs> Dead. I, I I'm not going to shoot one of those again. On the wing. They're being able to pick them up on the wing and telling what's teal, what's models. Models are usually easy because there's only two of them, maybe three. You know, woodies are easy to pick out. But when I first started, you know, and really got serious about this just a couple of years ago, I couldn't tell the difference between a Woody and a Ringer coming in. It was, I was I, just, I was the exact same way, and I was intimidated by it, just like you are, Rob. Yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. I like. <laughs> I'm gonna screw up, but the best thing you can do is go with somebody who knows, who's gonna say, just tell you to shoot. Yeah, yeah. Because you do that for a season, and the next season you'll be confident enough in like three to four species of ducks that you're willing to go on your own because you're like, okay. If I just don't know, I won't shoot. But I know I'm going to see at least this many of that species, and you, eventually you'll learn. Right. You'll figure it out. Uh, no, that makes sense. And we're we're scrappers too. We usually don't have to worry about like, oh, we've got our limits of uh, 
whatever. You know, what you, <laughs> keep shooting because, oh, my God, we finally got ducks coming in. Right? <laughs> now, what are the, uh, like, the repercussions and stuff? If, like, for, say, like, the wrong duck was flying over just because I, I really know not much about it. It's something I, I've always found interest in, but just haven't had the time or the, you know, the location to ever do it. So what are the repercussions, I guess, of, like, I'll put it this way. Um, your repercussions may vary per state, but okay. if you break a law, duck hunting, it is a federal offense. You're supposed to turn yeah, yourself no in. No pressure after the first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, duck hunting is regulated federally because they travel so far. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a federal offense. I've never had the opportunity to shoot over my limit on ducks. Yeah, that's yeah, one thing. So I, I look at this too. Like it, even even in the first year of duck hunting, uh, the only way that I would I could see accidentally shooting more ducks than I'm supposed to is killing two with one shot. Because right, I'm not, that's a, yeah, and exactly. that is a, a true accident. And at that point, like, explain yourself. If you get your ticket, you get your ticket. But you. Uh, <sighs> If you're getting close and you don't, it's easy to, for the most part, to avoid. Uh, if you know you have a duck where the limit is one mallards per se on the Atlantic Flyway, <clears throat> your yeah. limit is one duck. But mallards are blatantly obvious; should be at least Drake mallards. They're big, green head, tan body. Uh, yeah. Once you shoot one, you realize that's a mallard. Then you know I got my limit. Don't shoot at ducks that look like that anymore. Uh, but some other ducks, like bluebill versus uh, ringneck, they look fairly similar in flight. Man, you guys, you guys have me intrigued in duck hunting now. I mean, we should be talking like more about his stuff, not duck hunting, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, we got off right. on a side I, tangent. I'm, I'm a, yeah, but I mean, I'm his stuff to... can directly relate to it, like we were talking about, though. Yeah, I'd I like was to say one more, one more thing about duck hunting if we're. Uh, is... You know, down in Florida, you guys have the gators. How often are you going after your duck? All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Hey, by the way, I was going to say earlier, you you said if we want to come shoot does, come on. If you want to come kill a gator, we'll stay in contact with you. And uh, we're all going to be putting in for tag next year. We we get you on a gator. Easy. We can put you on a gator. That license costs you a whopping 50 bucks. Uh, The easy part might be a little exaggerated. I mean, are gators ever going after the ducks that you guys are all the time? Uh, yeah, gators. I run a. I even run a dog. Two of us, Briar's not here. Two of us run a dog, and we have to select where we trust the waters to run our dog. Right. Yeah. So they don't get picked up by the gators. All that yeah. makes sense. It gets a little eerie sometimes wading out because we're hunting in the winter and they're not that active. But you can wade out and uh, and see them. As you're waiting out, all of a sudden they're just laying on the bottom. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They don't. They're, yeah. they're they're not like African crocodiles. They don't come chasing you down or anything like that. But you know, yeah. and I've never seen like a really big one. Look, but they're out there. The ones that can eat you, like really mess you up, they don't chase you down. It's the little four footers that'll, you know, take a good butt stroke of the shotgun. They they they'll, they'll chase you. I was gonna say the the, the little one ones are thing. Mean. Growing up in Florida that we were always told, and then I'll still tell people today, and they never believe me, is they are more afraid of you than you are of them. 100%. People are like, ain't no way. You're like, no, seriously. Like, they, they don't attack you, man. They're just, you come up on them, most of them are just going to swim away from you. 
You'll lose. I'm just thinking Lake Placid or something like that. Yeah. You'll lose any fear you have of alligators once you hunt them. When you see yeah. how hard it is to get close to them when you want to, it's, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty wily. Even if you throw no a bait, like we'll, we, we'll hunt them with lungs, like beef lungs or, or, or pig lungs because yeah. they float and we're not allowed to use hooks. So you throw a wooden block in them and you throw it out there. And okay. if you see an alligator and you throw the the lungs out there and they're all bloody and gnarly. Once you get their attention, they'll swim up to it, but they'll they'll hang off those lungs sometimes for an hour. Right? Really? I mean, they, they just sit there staring at them for like an hour, and then they'll finally they'll come halfway in, and they'll look at them for some more time, and then finally they'll come over, and it's a it's more of a nibble right at first, where they just and they don't they don't go full bore for I don't know, they play with them for five minutes sometimes, where they just turn around and hook them down. Yeah, it's wild. I always see like the videos of you guys golfing and like there's like two giant gators just like wrestling <laughs> on the on the green and you know that's all that's that's yeah, mating that's season. all I'm picturing that's all I'm picturing right now, just being in a boat and you have, you know, two twelve foot gators next to you, you know. Sensationalized. We call the gator the tax man, same with the bald eagles. The bald <laughs> eagles will steal your duck just as fast. <clears throat> if not faster than the gators will, because you know, there's places you can run a dog and a dog and bald eagle. The dog's like, I'm going to get that. And the bald eagle, nope. He Keith, gone. Keith <laughs> lost a ringer to a bald eagle earlier this year. Did he? Yeah. yeah. He was on out of a canoe. That's he was like all a... happy with himself. Pow! Bald eagle said, sucker. <laughs> 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 it's come down and take him right off top of the water. And you're like, ah. Yeah, that's the thing that sucks about places where I know I won't run my dog is the places where I'm not going to run my dog are the places where I want to get my duck back the fastest. Right. If you let it sit in the water, gator's definitely going to get it. I've had gators come up and try and eat decoys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what's funny, too, is a lot of those places where we're like, oh, we're not going to run the dog there because of the gators are also the places where they don't allow us to gator hunt. Yeah. And that's why they're completely yeah. overrun with gators with no fear. But yeah, so but back to your product, we got to get some we got to get some palmettos in there. Some yeah, palmettos. No, I'm even even if you could come up with a way, a reed would almost even be harder. You know what I was thinking? He's got he's got the tube that connects to the puck, and then you have your, for lack of a term, your bushes or your your foliage that go into the tube. Right. Is it possible to create oh, to an wrap, expandable to, to, to wrap an, like, shit into his tube? Yeah, like where the end. Yeah, I don't know. Even if it, even if it was uh, like a cloth end with a with a drawstring on it, so you could yeah. stuff that thing full of reeds or palmettos, or your own material from around you. Yeah, and just and just draw it tight on there. It doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? So, so, so a big thing we're um, we're coming out with is. Uh, it's kind of the ability because you know talk, talking to you guys in the duck hunt and, and you know we really kind of started putting a focus on that and uh <clears throat> excuse me and I, you know i reached out to a couple of my boys that are uh still in um that i was stationed with over at uh third recon and reached out to two of my uh snipers and so I, i'm coming up with some kind of like either molly system so you can kind of weave your own grass into it as well um and kind of 
implements, you know, whatever. So you can do, you know, artificial and live um, and kind of really truly make it fully adaptable and completely customizable. Yeah, you, you can, I mean, if you hunt, you know, one sit, like we talk about how where it changes so much, if you hunt in, in one environment in the morning and right. then choose in the afternoon and then you can literally just take your surroundings around you and input them it, it, with yeah. your molly system take your surroundings from around you and input them as you move. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think both have a place. I personally, you know, would, I like to leave my, uh, I have one that's still up in my, uh, the oak tree that I hunt out of. So I don't have to go up there and take it out. But, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think having a system like that and especially for, for, I'd say almost arguably, most importantly for you know when you're standing in the the tall weeds duck hunting for you guys you know something uh along the lines of ta- you know the puck attaches to a monobolt and kind of extend it above you and put some weeds in there you know really really kind of be you know blending and blend blended into your surroundings rather now when you say you left that in your the, the oak tree you're hunting out of are you leaving the puck with the limbs attached or you taking the limbs with you nope i'm leaving everything fully attached in there Really? How well do those leaves hold up to that sun exposure? Good. They're uh, they're all UV rated, so it's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, they they hold up really well. Um, same same with the wind. Uh, the first time, I, I the first time I hung one up, it started raining, and I just didn't even want to take it down, so I just left it there. And like weeks went by, and I looked outside, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me." I'm like, I, you know, it, it was still, it was still completely intact. We had heavy winds and everything. And that's when I really was like, all right, this might be, uh, this might be something. And then that's when I really started, uh, pushing and really started digging down and trying to create this and make this better. And yeah, it's one of my biggest drawbacks to hunting out of like a portable blind is I've had a few over the years and you have them in the first, first year, maybe a season. It's like, yeah, it's good. It's camouflage. The yeah. next year, you're like, yeah, it's kind of not so camouflage. It's like almost a white. <laughs> if it makes it to the third year, you're like, yeah, okay, I know it's pink, but we're going to hunt out of it anyway. <laughs> so just to help anybody that's listening to the podcast, the best what's your what's your website so people can go and actually yeah. look at this themselves? It's called uh, Gilly Puck, uh, G-H-I-L-L-I-E-P-U-C-K, gillypuck.com. That is definitely the best place to go to take a look at that. But to give you a description, we already described it's an eight-sided puck with a center stud that you can mount on a pole. So let's say that you're hunting in a climber stand and you have some sort of mount that then... You can mount it directly to your climber, climber right. with the strap that he has. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you, and, then, and then off of that eight-sided array, you can build what looks like a very, very branch-like blind that would be hanging off of your climber stand to give you some concealment if you need it on the left or on the right behind you or even in front of you um because you wouldn't have to you could you could use it and not and and leave a couple gaps in the studs so that you can right and look through it um and it would look so you, you instantly create a very real looking blind not a piece of burlap or something like that hanging off of that um yeah to give yourself to break up your outline, and if you're bow hunting, muzzle loader hunting, anything that where the deer are going to be in a little bit tighter, 
or if you're just even if you're rifle hunting but you don't have the luxury of having acres in front of you this is a big help so how much do you think thank you how much do you think the ghillie puck has changed the way you hunt i think it's uh for me i mean i might be a little uh biased but i i really do I, i don't know if it's placebo i just feel like i'm seeing more deer and again that could just be i mean i try to go out on the you know the best value days but i mean i feel like I don't, I don't know. It's like wearing, uh, like, I feel like a big daddy when the kid wears the sunglasses up there. I just feel like I get that, <laughs> I get that, I get that confidence booster. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I truly, I truly do believe it does help break up some of the movement. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's definitely changed the way I at least am approaching my stands and kind of operating up in my stands. I feel a little more confident when I go to grow, uh, grab the bow and draw back on the bow um, that I'm not going to immediately just get picked out and, uh, you know, kind of ruin my shot. So it kind of gives me, allows me to get a little more confidence with anything um, and to, to go through the motions how I normally would if there wasn't a deer in front of me, if I didn't have the pressure of, you know, now having to focus on the shot. Now I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I'm drawing my bow back like normal, like I do in my, you know, my basement or outside of my targets. And, uh, yeah, I really do think it's, it's, it's changed my mental game as well as, you know, helping me break up, um, and getting skylined. So I, I definitely think it's, it's improved a lot. You know, we, we've all been in that situation where the deer are coming in mm-hmm. and you, you never fool their nose. Right, and you, you right. watch them coming in, and then all of a sudden, there's a change. In, I mean, it's usually instant, like almost like they hit an invisible wall. Ping! Yeah. And the ears go out, and the nose comes up, and then they start doing that funky chicken thing. Like they're looking. You know, if they stop, yeah. and then they're, they're head to the left, head to yep. the right. And and I understand that they don't see in the same dimensions we do, and I understand that part of the reason they move their head is that they're trying to give themselves more perspective. And you know, we've, we, you've, if you spend a lot of time in a deer stand, you've had that stare off where they're looking right at you, and so long as you don't move, they can't see you. Right. They turn their head and they and they'll play that game where they will look away and then they turn around and look back. And in those right. moments, as you all know, like especially when they come up and you're not paying attention because you're busy playing Scrabble on your phone or checking Facebook, and that's of course when they come <laughs> in, and all of a sudden you realize that you're already you're not busted, but you're half busted. Right. In those moments when they're looking away a little bit, and that's when you have to grab the bow. And then yeah. they're looking at you for a while, and then they look away a little bit, and then you can finally stand up. This is this thing, this, this ghillie puck gives you the conceit which you need to make those movements. And, and you know, you're trying to move it kind of smooth and slow, but making those movements and having that extra concealment that you need so when the deer looks back and you're frozen, they're like, huh? did I see something? Did I not see something? You know, right. Yeah. And you hit the foot yeah. stomps, right? Yep. Whereas, you know, the alternative is once they pick you out, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say, I, it's it's very rare that I've had a deer pick me up with one of their senses and hightail it. Right. They're always right. either they smell you and then they try to see you, or they see you and then they try to smell you. And if right. you can make one of those two that much harder... That's where you get that that extra, like Jim said, just that little bit more time 
or that little bit more leeway to move to make the shot happen, and bam, that's it. Yeah. Walking right. off and, and versus the, running off. But shoot, right. man, and, something else we haven't covered that that thing is really good for, turkeys. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit so, about it, but absolutely. Like, when you stepped off to get uh, your first one. We haven't seen your clay one, by the way. I still want to see that one. This is the uh, this this is the clay one right here. Well, so it is, is like uh, a kiln-fired clay. Yeah, I uh, brought this to work, and you know, hopefully my boss isn't listening. But um, I brought this to <laughs> brought this to work, and I was like, man, how can I? You know, I really started uh, honing in on the the shape that I wanted to do, the size, and uh, you know, this one came out. It wasn't as easy to make out of clay as it was out of wood. Turns out, so that that clay not as crude as I thought. No, again, I'm not sure what I like. What I like better, the wood or the clay? <laughs> the version you got now, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the version I got now makes it a little easier to uh, to work with. Yeah, but I, sure. I, I was telling Jim when you stepped away, I, I pulled up your TikTok and I was like, dude, you got to see this when he is standing on the ground. You're like, oh shit, wait, where's he at with this ghillie? But oh my god, that thing just moved. Yeah. Just step out. Of me. <laughs> yeah, that was uh yeah, that was I mean, that was really what I what I wanted to express to people. And it was um you know, that that video was the most like ironic timing. I just got up there and I was just shooting for the video. And as I'm shooting for the video, of course I'm I got my dog in front of me, he's laying down next to the camera. As I'm shooting for the video, an eight pointer with a one antlered eight pointer. Well, he was an eight pointer earlier in the season, but uh, came running right behind me. I don't know if you saw the deer in the background. Yeah, where I kind of threw, threw up my hands. I was like, and that was kind of unintentional, but it was also like, couldn't have worked out any better. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was like, what are the, you know, what are the odds? I just climb up here. I'm sitting down. I just set this thing up, and I'd heard some noise to my left, and here comes this eight pointer running right behind me, and uh, well, four pointer at that point, but uh, yeah, came running right in behind me, and then. He'd looked up. He'd looked up at my dog, and uh, you know, I couldn't go through the comments and reply to everybody. They're like, "Oh, well, he just spotted you." My dog was sitting right there, staring at him, and I was like, no, "Like, don't stay." And so that's why he kind of got a little nervous and started doing the little trot <laughs> behind me. But yeah, that was uh, that, that was perfect timing. It's nice to know the face behind a product too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's what a lot of people have like an issue with is that sometimes they don't necessarily see a face and they just see a product and they don't see. I mean, if I showed you my basement right now, you guys would be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is like chop saws and you know, there's dust all over the floor and little you know pieces everywhere and leaves everywhere and it's just. So, so are you making these molds and everything right there in your? Yeah, I'm doing all, all the branches. Um, you know, everything's, this is a, you know, a form of shrink wrap. So it's like the tube that goes inside. There's a, there's a wooden dowel in here to help with stability. Um, the connectors get in and they, you know, I adhesive them to the, the tubing and I have to wrap the connectors about, it takes me right now, roughly about, I'd say, I don't know, probably four or five minutes per, per one of these. Have, there's eight of them. Have you thought about something that's, uh, rigid but bendable rather than wooden so you can uh, oh beautiful yeah yeah these are uh the wood only goes down to here and that's just okay. kind of to hold the 
the connective piece in here. Up here we have uh, yeah. <clears throat> a poly type tube that's inside, and then of course our you know our shrink wrap and uh, you know I kind of hand form all of the every single one of the it's hard to see but yeah, yeah, yeah every yeah. single one of the branches you know I, I heat up and I hand shrink kind of give it that that texture. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was thinking when you were talking about your wooden, I was like, man, it, and Jim had said something about you can leave a branch out, but there's sometimes where you may want to put a branch in, but you want to bend it down a little bit or, and that, that poly makes it easy to do that. Yeah. And then this, on the other hand, this is wireframe. So I can bend oh, this yeah, whatever beautiful. way I want. Which is so, the leaf and limb itself. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, you know, you can, you can really, kind of mold this to whatever position you want for that particular hunt or wherever you want to add coverage. That's perfect. Find it, find it super useful. I, I put one on my, you know, where my, my backpack and my bow are. Cause I keep them, when I use my climber, I keep them on the same hook, the backpack. And then I have that, you know, the trifold easy um, hang and uh, put it right in between. That really kind of breaks up my bow and kind of, duels as a concealment for my backpack as well so if uh you're hunting out of a climber man you gotta, just get one of those, you gotta get one of those has yeah. more seats that we that uh the ad runs at the beginning of the podcast but that dude it that is has changed the way i hunt out of a climber well i mean what hunt is it? out of the climber it's a, a has more outdoor products the seat it's it's just an uh it's i think he makes it out of like goalie net now he was really? hand weaving all of them but like I, I don't know about you, but I like to sit very high in the top part of my climber. I don't like to like hide yeah. down inside of it. And he made it because he's a bow hunter, so it's beneficial for him to sit higher. Um, right. But uh, just the way it, the comfortability of it alone is changes exactly as comfortable as it looks like it is, and it looks very comfortable, at least from my point of view. And no that sucker just sits there. It doesn't create the pressure points. Like you're sitting in the seats for the summit where the straps go under, you can feel the straps, even though the oh padding's God. there. Yeah, you don't yep. have that anymore. Not with that. Really? Seat. Yeah. And when you stand up, the entire seat can be pushed to the back of the climber where you can stand there. You have the entire top half of the climber to move around in. Now he does, he does seats or is it the whole stand, uh, yeah, seats. he he makes just a seat and a back. I mean, he has a full tree stand trick out kit with comes with like straps that help tie the top down to the bottom so that uh, it helps secure your top and bottom at the same time so you don't have any problem with them slipping. He makes a backrest. He makes a bow holder. All kinds of crap, man. You guys would be a, you'd be great cross marketing. Yeah. Right, yeah, Has, sure. Hasmore on his site, and then the Gilly Puck on Hasmore's site. There'd yep. be there there there's a lot of synergy there. Uh, yeah, I'd love to get. Uh, yeah, I'd love to definitely talk to him because I mean that's that sounds something I I could use because my seat I have the the summit. Um, what is it? The summit. Uh, no, I'm drawing a blank. But either way, I mean oh, that so thing. I, I have a Viper. Climber. I have a Viper, and William has a 360. Yeah, and I, I get the fat guy stand. What do they call that? You got the a Goliath. Viper. Oh, the Goliath. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I hunt over a recliner. <laughs> <laughs> easy boy. I get the easy boy. Yeah. But if you go but, buy one right now, if you use UPO fifteen, you get fifteen percent off. UPO fifteen. I'll, I'll absolutely do that. I'm just writing this down. My memory is. You know all this uh, stuff. People think, well, you know, does it really matter? Like, well, you know, it's a funny part because for ninety eight percent of your sit, 
You could be playing the radio. Wouldn't matter. <laughs> Wearing purple, dancing a jig. Wouldn't matter. Deer aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, they're there. And then you say, well, I had a burlap sack that helped hide me. And, or you say, well, you know, I, my seat's not that comfortable, but it, it mattered because the longer you can sit without moving, the more concealment you have, the less you stink. It all matters. And like I said, 99% of the time, it doesn't matter because the deer aren't there. But when they're there, all of those layers, all of those little things are the difference between success and failure. And right. it just sucks, especially when you've been there for three days with nothing to watch but Tweety Birds and Squirrels. And then finally there's your opportunity and you watch in your opportunity haul ass because one of those layers was missing. No, exactly. Well, I was just laughing because he said when you were sitting there for three days, we just sat for three days and didn't see nothing. But William got down and was like, hey, I saw this little flicker over here, but I couldn't see where uh, I could smell this deer on the road. Oh, yeah. Well, so, where <laughs> <laughs> well, I sat Sunday afternoon to my right-hand side, I had to sit the pine tree I sat in because I didn't have enough cover anywhere else. Uh but I could see good to my left, you know, my, my strong side, my weak side was where the majority of my cover was. And I was, I watched my right and I saw something move towards last light a hundred yards or so. And when I got down, packed all my stuff up and I'm done hunts over because it's after the 30 minutes, it's everything's done. That entire hunt's done there for the rest of the year. As I'm walking back, I'm like, I can sm- I can smell a buck. Oh yeah, was here, and I just right in that spot in the path. And I stopped and I looked back and I was like, "Damn it!" He came up, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. eased his way so, out of your life. So, exactly yeah. what he did. It's so exactly uh, what he did. The area we were hunting, we had at the when we first started this, it was somebody we had met through somewhere else, or somebody had asked <sighs> about somebody hunting out there, and we were, we I had messaged him and was like, "Hey." Join the Under Pressure Outdoors Nation on Facebook. Post there. Posted there. William had the same permit he did. And William had a guest permit. So we ended up, through other circumstances, I met him without knowing that I met him until after we had... He was on a boat that was broke down. And I went with a boat and got him out. And then we got to talking. And he's like, hey, you're so-and-so. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hey, we're uh, we're hunting this unit together here soon. And I was like... Oh, snap. I didn't know that was you. And we've done some, we did some, he did a lot of scouting because he lived close to that unit. And uh, he did a lot of scouting out there for us. And uh, he's actually a dang good friend now. But That was at at eight point. Yeah. He picked out a spot for William where he had seen a good eight point coming through. And William wasn't able to sit where he, he needed to sit. That's the difference in the guy hunting out of a saddle. Where he's hiding behind the tree and me hunting out of the right. climber. You could still even around. really use that ghillie puck a lot with a saddle, man. Oh, sure. 100%. But, uh, I don't know, man. I went out there. I was the only one to take Friday off work to go hunt the Friday of that hunt. And <laughs> to Easton, he's like, you know, yeah, you can go this way. He's like, the road gets a little thin. But the dude didn't tell me was he's like, yeah, man, as long as you don't mind mud bogging. Oh, my God. It's always wet. No, He's got a two-wheel not, drive Colorado. Not yeah. like that. Not like I was. It, look, this this is like Ocala, 
local mud stomp hole. I didn't. I, a lot of them I was able to drive around, and I'm in a four wheel drive four size full size pickup. And I pulled up to one, and I was like, "Oh shit!" It's like sixty yards long, and indeterminate bottom. Yeah, I was like, I was like, well, I could see a road around, so I got out and I kind of walked the road, and then I see it just drops off into the abyss, and I'm like, okay, this ain't gonna work. And I was like, well, let me see how deep this is. So I grab a stick and I start poking out there about part of the way through. I was like, oh, it's only like eight inches deep into sand bottom. Like I don't feel a big rut poking around. I was like, ah, I'll be fine. So I throw the truck in four wheel drive and I ease forward and I kind of drop down into a little bit. Back tires drop in. And I start easing forward. By the time I get a full truck length in there, the front of my truck just goes underwater. I said, nope, 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 nope. Reverse, reverse. I was like, I get stuck out here by myself. (laughs) Well, nobody to come get me. I'm going to be so pissed. But I did manage to get out of it. And then uh, tried to go around, ran into a tree across the road. I was like, I have no choice now but to uh, go back the exact crappy way I got here. (laughs) Like this. This is gonna suck. Uh, yeah. Moral of the story is if you'd ha- if you'd had a ghillie puck, you could have uh, seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you said it. <laughs> Long story short, it could have hit better uh, in the end and and maybe killed a nice deer, but it was fun anyway. I went through yeah, a hole. We, we, I was say I went through a hole like that once. Uh, where I walked out and said, "All right, this ain't so bad." I'm driving through it. <clears throat> what I didn't realize, apparently, there was a big hole. But unless you stepped in it, you wouldn't know it was there. But you drive through, and then all of a sudden, you think you're going to be fine. And all of a sudden, you feel the back end of your truck just go, right? And you it like thunks. And you're like, oh, my God, and you barely get out. And then now you're across. Coming back, you're like, oh, shit. What if I hit that with the front tire on the way in, right? Because then you know you're just, you're, you're a U-boat captain, right? It's like, when you hit that one in the way out in the way out doing like 60 just in case you hope to, you know get through it so. jesus take the wheel yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh but so jim you got some stuff uh bear tag meeting yes the the uh so here's one of the crazy things here you guys you can hunt bears in new york right yeah yeah yeah, yeah we have a bunch of them and we can't hunt them proceed yeah florida is the only state <laughs> in the union that has three thousand or more bears and uh, that we don't hunt them and we sit on a technical advisory group <clears throat> which is uh florida fish and wildlife they put together uh, a couple biologists and they keep the community of interested people interested in bears and there are it, 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 it is. It, there's not too many people that are in the middle. There are sportsmen, and there are people that are. They may be very nice people, but they are not making decisions based on reason. They have emotional reasons to not let us hunt bears. Um, the great news is the bear population continues to expand. Uh, they they're doing more and more tracking. They've got more tags uh, that they can. Uh, they're using a, a mesh tag that they they can run hair through the mesh, and then some glue that they're still trying to improve. But that's giving them more and more data on young bears that they'd be hesitant to collar, because even though the collars do expand, what they're really worried about is that if you put 
an expandable collar on a young bear and then it either fails to expand or the bear grows outgrows the collar's expansion ability that you end up choking out right. the bear. Um, I like the I like the mesh tag idea. That that's uh, that's pretty cool because you're also not going to run into an issue, albeit probably slim, that it does happen, where a bear gets hung up by the collar and then you know strangulates itself or whatever. So they're using those on cubs especially, right? But there's a few issues, right? Because mama's not necessarily happy to see the tag on the. Oh, I'm sure. And there were the, but that really wasn't the problem. Most of it, what they just they think's happening is that uh, they need a better glue hmm. because the the. Um, the tags are only lasting a few weeks and they can tell, I guess by the way it comes off that in some cases it just flops around and then eventually gets torn off by the, by brush, brush and things right. that the bears are moving through. Um, but it's, it, it is all of this things a progress because the better tracking they can do in the bears, they, uh, the more, um, the better, the better, uh, the more data that they have to make better decisions as far as management. But one of the things that really came up, and was a, a bit of a point of contention was the growth rate in bears. Um, FWC published a bear uh, management plan. And this was kind of interesting. It, it showed bears growing at about a 9% rate, but it was kind of funny. One of the, the big anti-hunting advocates was asserting that the bear population was growing at 25%. Or maybe he was trying to punch holes in the fact that he thought that FWC was trying to assert that the bear population is growing at 25%, which is not. But in, in that data, what was interesting is in Central Florida and the, the Ocala population that's in Central Florida, the Ocala-St. John's population is the largest population of bears. And it's actually growing at the slowest rate. And what was rather, in my opinion, disgusting was that those that are opposed to hunting were trying to advance an agenda that we don't need a regulated hunt because the number of automobile strikes is killing enough bears that a hunt is unnecessary. And the justification was that the central Florida population through the, the, the Ocala St. John's population of the 300 and some odd bear strikes a year that we have a year, like 280 or 290 of them happen in central Florida. But when you take a look at, so that population is only growing by about 2.63 or 3% a year. But when you figure there's about 3000 bears in that population alone, if you're killing 300 of them by car, that's 10%. Right. And that's only the ones that somebody reports that they hit a bear and then they go out and find a carcass. That doesn't count strikes where people hit the bear, right? And they don't bother calling it in. Or they know they hit a bear, but they don't find it because the wounds that the bear suffers aren't immediately fatal. And as you know, bears range. It goes out, it suffers, right. it gets septic. Yes, and a lot of our euthanized bears, so there's trap and kill bears, they trap and kill problem bears, bears that become habituated to to human beings. They euthanize sick bears and injured bears. A lot of our euthanized bears, they are pretty certain have been struck by cars, and they're just out there wandering around with terrible injuries. And it's just, forgive me for rambling, but 
And I know most of the people who listen to this podcast are like, of course we should have a bear hunt for a lot of reasons. But when I find that the those that are opposed to bear hunting are now starting to justify the reasons that there shouldn't be a hunt because automobiles are doing the job for them. I, I, I just find that entirely immoral. Like that's that's backwards. And and to right. FWC's credit, to uh, David Telesco, who is the one of the head biologists, he in fact made that statement. He said that bears dying by automobile strikes and trying to manage a population by bears through automobile strikes is unacceptable and that it is far more humane for a bear to meet its end by bullet than by car strike. And I, I agree. Yeah. And then especially since we're not just out there knocking down bears and leaving them in the woods, right? Most of the folks that are hunting them are eating them, right? right. Bear meat's delicious, great fat, turn it into a rug. There ain't much of that bear that stays in the woods. Even the skull goes on the shelf, right? So, so anyway, uh, that's my, that was my it, takeaway from this, this quarter's tag group is that as our population continues to grow, those that are opposed to using regulated hunting as part of the management process seem to really be reaching in desperation. And it's, uh, it's, it is challenging to, to be a part of that group and listen to that. I, I can imagine. Yeah. So something that crossed my mind as you're talking about bears, and I'm sure you're well aware there's a black market for many different bear parts, skull bladders. Stuff like that. Did you know there's a black market for bear baculums? For those that don't know what a baculum is, it's literally a, a pecker bone. Like the... the like yeah, a coon dick. In the, in the dick, yeah. I got a coon <laughs> baculum in my truck right now. There's a black market for bear baculum. What would be the use for that? I don't know. There's I mean, actually... They make them into toothpicks with, out of raccoons. Was, yeah. You mean, you mean in nature, what's the use for a baculum? No, no, no. Imagine if your like, penis had a fish hook in yeah. it. She ain't getting away. <laughs> yeah. He's like saying, what's what's the use for uh, black market? I don't know. Uh, bear. But, uh, you know, there's sure actually... A sign of virility. There's actually even a black market. And uh, I learned this from uh, an undercover FWC officer that I'd met one time. Um, there's actually a black market for the right paw of a bear <laughs> as well. Not the really? left paw. Just the right paw. Supposedly, through some like Chinese medicine or something, the right paw of a bear is supposed to, uh, uh, is said to have like held all the bear's power. Hmm. Now, is this a particular bear? Or like, is this black bear or is this brown bear? Well, I don't know. What? We didn't get that deep into it. We Man, were, we got we to get somebody yeah, in. Here. We were hanging out around a fire uh, drinking, and he was just telling me. About all the crazy black market stuff that he had apprehended. We we got to get somebody in who's well versed in the black market of the hunting industry. Uh, we got one. Am, we just got to get him I'm to come just talk. Super curious. Not that I mean. I assume you're referring to a law enforcement person, not a poacher. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay, this would have been or or if, stand the light there, side. If there was a man or a woman who's been to the dark side. And is now come back a changed person, <laughs> Prince of Poachers. That, yeah, I, that guy would be uh, James Beatty. 
He'd be cool to talk to. Uh, is the lobster you know mobster still alive? Just along the line of put, the lobster mobster, you know that guy? I have no idea who that is. Oh, man, he got busted with like, I don't know, like 800 lobsters coming back into Florida or something like no. that. <laughs> they call him the lobster mobster. You're allowed five, right? He's got like 800. Was it the biggest <laughs> lobster bust of all time? Do you, do you know uh, Do you know who, you ever heard of James Beattie? I have not, no. The, the prince of poachers, king of poachers. Uh, prince. He, he uh was crawling under high fence ranches in Texas and smoking some monster bucks. Oh my God. And, and dragging them out of there. And he killed an enormous amount and he's actually written a couple books about it. Uh, he got caught and has, you know, uh, he was a taxidermist. So he did all his own deer and it's, it's a crazy, crazy thing, but he doesn't do that anymore. And he actually helped Texas fishing game, learn how to catch poachers doing what he was doing as part of his, uh, Getting right with the law. Did, right. did he spend some time working for the state before that? I don't think so. No, really? And so at that time, when he did that, game violations aren't what they are today. And he says that. He says, man, it was, what, 80 bucks? I got caught 80 bucks. Pay the fine, get out of there. Now, that now, was, was he, before... He, Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, was he advertising these as, uh, like, a free range... Like, he was shooting free range deer, or was he, like, openly admitting that? I'm know? pretty sure he took people out there. I'm just I, doing guided hunts on not that he was doing else. guided hunts he's like hey this is not legal but I'll take you to kill a big one you know but the funny part about it is if he was poaching on high fence ranches the irony is he wasn't poaching wildlife he was poaching livestock, livestock. so then was he poaching or was he rustling or stealing yeah rustling stealing yeah, that's, that's so maybe he's not question. the prince of poachers maybe he's the prince of rustlers <laughs> But the it, the fact remains, at that time, the the laws we have now where uh, they value a deer based on trophy size, like Jordan just posted one to the group the other day where the dude shot what could have potentially been the next state record for the state of Florida. That happened, uh, what, two years ago? A couple years ago, 2017, 18, something like that. Uh, 18. But yeah. he, uh, he shot it at night, and it that deer has more value placed on it than say going out and you, uh, that a pot hunter goes out, shoots a doe with a spotlight because that is a trophy animal. It means more to the hunting population than one doe or a spike. Although, I mean, you shoot a four point in Florida in some places. That's a trophy. That's a trophy son. That's a trophy deer. Um, but, now you have laws, and it goes. It expands all through other states with elk and everything else. The you go out and shoot these monster bucks. That's the same reason they can't. You know, if they run robo deer, they can't go out there and put a dag on the next state record out there as robo deer. They have to use an average size animal. So I guess in Florida, if they're going to do, it's got to be at least at a minimum four point, four point maybe a spike, <laughs> yeah, a ten inch main beam spike, yeah. <laughs> ten inches on one side, maybe a little fork and like a little banana hanging off. The yeah. <laughs> Trophy. Uh, but they have to use an average deer because you know they can't. They, they're going to take that to court and go. Well, Your Honor, could you resist shooting that if you saw it on the side of the road in the middle of the night? Well, come on. If they're out there with the dang. Uh, oh, what do they call it when you entice the person? Entrapment. Entrapment. Yeah, yeah so you, go, you, you go and take put Hunter's buck on a robo deer, the one he just shot in Georgia out there. I mean, I, 
I might swerve. Yeah. <laughs> 16 points with a yeah. drop time. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I told William the other day. That's why I want to put a You're bumper on, on my That's why I want to put a bumper on my truck. So I don't have to hit the brakes when I see a deer. I'll just hit it and take it home. <laughs> so that that would be honest, talking about Texas earlier, right? And I don't mean to hijack thing, but when my friend Jay and I were out there chasing turkeys, we went on a little bit of sightseeing tour. And we're out there middle of nowhere, south central Texas just driving the back roads and all of a sudden there's herds of um i want a little spotted deer called fallow deer fallow deer uh, yeah. and then these red goats and you know the first time you, you it's, it's kind of a natural reaction when you're let's face it nobody in texas drives us in 80 miles an hour <laughs> like you're a danger on the road if you're Look, not doing 80 you're, they, so, have a, they have a highway that the speed limit i'm pretty sure is like 80 or 85 oh yeah they're posted yeah. out there so we're, we're, when you're driving that fast and also a herd of animals running out in front of you, you hit the brakes. But then in the calculation, I thought about, I got a $500 deductible in my insurance. How much would it cost me to take one of these deer? And they're out there running around the road, so not poaching. I quickly hit the gas, but, by the, but because like, I paused. For- yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> and we... So on the way back, we came back with that on the intent, man, and uh, we almost got ourselves a couple of goats of some kind. I don't know we're running around. But, man, out there in south central Texas, all those high ranches and and they got all these exotic game species. The the exotic game species don't realize they're supposed to stay inside the fence. Everything's running around out there. So your idea going out there with a big old steel bumper, a big old cattle bumper on the front of that thing, man, we should do that. Just go over there and drive around and get like one of them old – anti-aircraft gun sights and put it in the front, <laughs> <laughs> the front of the truck, man. Rolling off some just fuzzy dice. Not, not as a hood yeah. ornament. Yeah. Yeah. You, just, you just start a uh, start a YouTube channel of smoking deer with your vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, but you got to get the I'd bumper. Subscribe. You got to get the bumper with the big with the big uh, horn on the front. <clears throat> that way it rolls them under. You know? yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, then we got to get stinger. a stamp for like each one of each species you put on the, like they used to do in World War II with the bombing runs. Yeah. Like if you're over at Dresden, <laughs> it was one color and Berlin was another. <laughs> And we just got canceled. Okay. (laughs) It's been real. (laughs) Oh, but I'm buying a dash cam. So what was the, what was the whole uh, final outcome of the the tag meeting? Uh, Well, you know, the the tag meeting is about, from my perspective, with the population growing, and I really do believe it is growing at about, 9% 9% across the state. Some places it's only growing by 2%. Other places it's growing by 12 And the smaller populations are growing faster. But that makes sense because the smaller population... Earlier I talked about the Ocala-St. John's population. Part of the reason it's not growing as fast, in addition to the car strikes, is that when bears run into more bears... More often, they tend to have smaller litters where a lot of times when bears run into less bears, they will have larger litters. Not not like five versus one. I saw three cubs, by the way, up there in Ocala when I was out there hunting. Yeah. Right across the road in front of me. I think the most common size is two, but, that, but that's the difference, right? If you have, in a, in a larger population, we might not be having average litters of onesie, twosie, where right. in a larger, a smaller population, you might be having more two to three or even three to four. So that's part of it. Plus, then you get into the average survival rate in terms of 
a population that's got more range, right? That there's more food, so they don't have to worry about competition. The bears aren't battling each other. Because most of the time, what you end up having when you see bears wandering into new areas, most of the time, as you can imagine, they're young males. And why are they wandering? They are looking for young females, right? It just happens. So our bear population, that's the good thing. The bear population is great. And each meeting that I attend, they're once a quarter. There's a combination of information that does show that there are fewer people calling in about conflicts. And they say that's a success. But that's also, I think, largely due to the Bear Aware campaign where in mostly this is to credit the anti-hunter groups. The anti-hunter group's doing a great job of telling people those bears aren't going to hurt you. You don't have to call in, right? You don't have to call in just because you saw a bear. You don't have to force that response. Um, but then encounters or um, potential problems, they've they've kind of leveled out, but rec- this last quarter they were on the rise. Um, and, and most of the time it's, it's what you might think. Some knuckleheads either feeding bears uh, and then things got out of hand or um, it might be an injured bear that then um, attacked a dog that was off a leash. Right. Those are the kinds of things that uh, that tend to get turned in. But the the, the more the set, the first part is what's going on in the bear world. The second half of each tag meeting is um, how they're studying bears. And, and that to me is uh, the part that I'm really most fascinated in because all the data keeps coming in is good news, good news, good news. Um, they're doing two studies right now in South Florida. And um, it, it's really interesting to see how the, diff- the different tag bears will move around the state um, and, and then the genetic diversity where they can, they can look for different biomarkers where you're starting to see more Ocala or, or some of the, the Chazowitzka population that's on the west side of the state they're pulling Ocala DNA in it. When they did the study, the bear management plan in 2012, that was ultimately finalized and a few years later. At that time, there was very few. The only part of the state that they thought would have a larger population that didn't was the Big Bend area. But now you've seen Chazowitzka bears, Ocala bears, and, and the uh, Apalachicola forest bears. They're all starting to come into there. Plus, any time that they do do a release, either um, cubs that have been, there's a whole program where they'll take cubs in, and they try to treat those cubs as wildly as possible, right? They try not to bottle feed them and things like that so that they can release them. And I think that they released six bears in the Big Bend area again this year because that's the only place that they can, they really, they will release bears if they get a chance uh, because every other place in the state is, it's over capacity. It's, yeah, it's already over the management. Yeah, when they decided what the management plan was going to be in the tar, it's the same story all over the country, right? You have a species, it becomes imperiled. They put together a management plan and they say, okay, at this point, the species is going to be considered recovered. Well, in Florida, the black bear population, it's a fantastic story. There was very few of them. They put the they put the the programs in place to improve the population. Now the population's fantastic, but it's like the people that were all on board with the idea of, why we got to save the bears? They don't understand that 
they don't seem to understand that. And this is a real. You won. Well, like you won. Move on. Find something else to champion. This is a relatively <laughs> fast success story. This is only, you know, prior to the 2015, was it, Bear Hunt? Yeah. Uh, the bear hunt, last Bear Hunt to take place in Florida was only in the late 80s. 80s. Yeah. Like, um, like 88, 89, right. almost 90. So it's only been 30, 32, 33 years. And it was only in North Florida at that time. Yeah, 32, 33 years. And the bears are back. Yeah. I, I get very frustrated. So... I may have said this in the podcast before. I was not personally that interested in hunting a bear. I don't know why, but Mike Elf, who you know is a a big-time conservationist, uh, when I was doing some volunteer work with BHA, he got very frustrated. He's like, why are you guys not paying attention to this? So he sent me the the bear management plan, and I read every – it's 200 pages, right? And I thought, oh, my God. But out of honor for him and – at the time, the the responsibility I felt for the position that we were in, I said I was going to read every page of it. It was awesome, and it wasn't boring. It was really fascinating, very well written, so that any anybody who has any interest at all, and you can still find it online, just start reading about it. And it talks about the history, how many bears were here, and they think that uh, I think sometime in the 2030s, they actually think that there will be more. If if the population keeps growing at its current rate. They expect that there will be more bears in Florida than there were at the time of European contact, which seems counterintuitive. And you say, how can that possibly be? Because there's so many more people here. Isn't there less habitat? There is less habitat until you remember how adaptable bears are. They're like giant raccoons. All the agriculture. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and then you get into dumps and things like that, which is not what they want them feeding on. Right. But but they're really adaptable. In the aspect of adaptability, they are they're they're giant raccoons. They they they, they will get in your garbage. They'll eat your garbage. They'll live in the tree behind your house. They'll that small patch of woods. I mean, you see it in your neighborhood. It, there's houses, and in the woods inside your neighborhood, there's bears. Yeah, and and they're not going anywhere. I've had two different sets of females den in the bamboo. I have a small. Uh, creek that runs through my backyard. And fortunately, it's, it's it's not something just... This bamboo does not grow that much. But I've got a stand of bamboo on the opposite side of the creek from my house. And I've had two different two different mothers, or maybe it's the same mother with two different um, broods over a period of years, den back in, there at bam, in that bamboo and raise cubs. Um, haven't had one now in a couple of years, but that's... That's in Sweetwater Oak subdivision. Right. Right. Uh, there's some green spaces in there, but it's um, it's not rural. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was going to say, we've had uh, here in New York, um, just the rise of bear sightings has, has jumped like drastically in the past two years. Um, between that and the, the EHD that we had, the deer population, I, I, I don't know which one is causing, you know, the lack of, um, you know, mature bucks to be, you know, harvested here, but, uh, there's definitely a lot more pressure from bears and they're coming down and they're getting more, uh, involved in these neighborhoods here. Um, when I first moved to New York, uh, four years ago now, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my, I remember seeing, uh, my wife seeing a bear on the way home and she called me, she's like, you know, we just saw a bear on the side of the conic. I was like, oh. And that was, and she's like, she's like, no, like I just, you know, I just saw a bear. I'm like, yeah, you guys don't have bear here. And she's like, she's like, no, no, no. Like they're incredibly rare. 
And now it's like every every person I talk to here is uh, they've got bear in the neighborhoods. Every time you know, the ring notifications going off, someone saying, hey, there's a bear, look out. Uh, my buddy had his uh, he's got a food plot, um, you know, with clover and radish and um, whatnot. And he had there. I've never seen this before and, and until this picture, but they, he had a mother, uh, four cubs and two male bears all in the same you know, it looked like they were traveling in a pack. It was the, you know, it was the wildest thing I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, they're they're definitely getting comfortable here in New York. I don't know if it's they're adapting and moving north or what what's going on here, but uh, yeah, I think it's definitely uh, causing a little hunting pressure with the whitetail too. Well, they're not the enemy, you know. I, I, no, that's the hardest thing to make people understand. Is um, I'm not very into bears, and I'd love to have a Florida bear hunt. And my, my logic in it is when when you take a look at the amount of money that's coming out of the conservation budget to trap bears, euthanize bears, if they can, and it's very rare, trap a mother with two cubs and then relocate it. Uh, or, or Well, mother and cubs. And they have to get all the cubs because they won't abandon a cub, right? And, and, and you have to have the mother and the cubs because if you just relocate an adult bear, it'll just come back. They'll wander hundreds of miles to come back. But if you take a mother and the cubs, most of the time the mother will not abandon the cubs and the cubs aren't big enough to make the journey. That's the only way to successfully relocate um, wild bears like that. So, And who knows? You know, I, I didn't ask that question about, well, what about these little ones that you're raising and then once they can stay on their own, you're releasing. Like, Do they try to – because I don't know exactly where the uh, rehabilitation facility is in Ocala, but I wonder if some of those bears – they try to wander their way back wander to Ocala. Back to it, yeah. it could be. I, I don't know. Um, but it's uh, to wrap this whole thing up, the bear population in Florida is doing absolutely wonderful. And I do think that it is just a matter of time before they will raise the quota on the bear hunt from zero to some sustainable number, probably in North Florida. And, um, and, and provide more opportunities for us to go out and, and chase one of those iconic species in it. And it really should be celebrated. That's the thing. It's like in, in the United States, we do not hunt animals that cannot withstand the pressure. Right. I, I don't know how that, why that isn't more common knowledge, but there's plenty of people out there that really don't understand. It's part of the reason we do the podcast, but there's plenty of people out there that don't understand that if you want to be a hunter, you don't just yeah. grab the rifle in June and decide you're going to go hunt. Right. Right. It doesn't work that way. Well, there's I think these... it has a lot to do with the same with the, you know, the anthropomorphic, anthrop- I can't even say it, anthropomorphization yeah. of species like bears and deer and everything else. They do the same thing, but in reverse with the hunter. But you see it in cartoons. All oh, the bears are fluffy and cuddly, and the white-tailed Bambi's so sweet. But the hunter is mean. Yeah, they dehumanize us. Yeah. I was going to say and they'll do yeah, it in FWC you know. meetings. They 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 use very demeaning and dehuman dehumanizing language to describe sportsmen and women. And it, it's it is if somebody not, addressed not FWC, you, but the no 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 the yeah, anti hunters. Yeah. If if one of those people accosted you using the language they're allowed to use in those meetings, if they were to address you that way in a restaurant, you'd set them back. Right. So I I do want to say that and and one thing that that crossed my mind when we talked about 
you know, how they were saying that they're getting hit by cars. That's enough. Right? I do not know a single hunter that is think that's a humane way of harvest. No. Most right. uh, most of everybody I know is going to say, man, that, that animal suffers. And I really, the yeah. last thing I want to happen is an animal to suffer. Yeah, we want to anchor them. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. When I take an animal, I I don't I don't want it to suffer. If if I see an animal suffering, I'm 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 the kind of person that's gonna put it down because I don't want that animal to suffer. I think of that animal right. as, as any human. I, I don't want any human to suffer. Right? Exactly. I'll say I don't, one last I don't thing want in. anything that has any kind of feeling to suffer. And ironically, I said I I'm late to the Yellowstone series. Just started watching. <laughs> But I watched an episode the other day, and that series does drive me kind of bad shit, but um, it's interesting, but it's kind of It's preaching. a Western days of our lives. Uh, very much so. <laughs> but I, I'm this far in, right? So, And I'm sure everybody else has already seen this, but uh, one of the characters in there is talking to a, one of the same kinds of people that we have to deal with in this tag, or, tag group who's you know all anti-meat and anti-farming. And he just asked her, did you ever plow a field? He's like, you know, when they break up the ground to raise whatever quinoa, whatever you folks eat, they kill every worm, every vole, every mole, every rabbit, every quail. And, the ones and he's basically like, the only difference is just how cute does an animal have to be for y'all to get interested in it. The, the ones they right, don't, they exactly. spray for. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, man. We all got to eat. And whether you and I, you know what, and I really do, and I've said this before, if you're if you have the discipline to genuinely be a true vegetarian or vegan, because that's tough, man. Your body needs protein. We're, it's pretty obvious, right? Most of the plants out there, if you try to eat them, it'll kill you. Yet most of the animals, go ahead. There, we we there are certain animals we prefer to eat, but there are very few, yeah. right? Puffer fish, and I don't know. I can't even think of too many animals that if you eat it, you're in trouble. Right? <laughs> you can eat them all. Yeah, right? pretty much. Biblical, baby. God gave us all to man, uh, dominion over the animals, but not with vegetables. So, But if you're somebody who really, for whatever reason, says, that's just not for me, I'm going to try to do it because I can't help with the anthropomorphic, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you say it five times fast. Yeah, Anthropo- okay, it makes done. me feel bad. Well, you're still doing it's it. Say it one time. Yeah, but I, I can, I can, I can genuinely respect that discipline. And in the handful of instances where I've run in and had a conversation with a genuine vegetarian on the wild game thing, when I explain, I can't explain why, but I do explain that I love. The observation, the chess match. It, it's it's not the killing, but it is the killing. It's not the killing for the bloodlust. It's the killing for the necessity, like because it's the end of the challenge. And then, I very much, as you guys know, enjoy the the processing or butchering, and then turning that into food. And it's obvious I ate a lot of food, right? That, but when I explain that it is that that whole thing, and that I would, where I could take a public's chicken wing that somebody doesn't eat and throw it in the garbage, 
I can't do that with a leftover pizza backstrap. If my kids won't eat it or my wife won't eat it, if it's, I just, I will sit there and eat those last couple of mouthfuls. I just can't throw it away. Right. I don't know yeah. why. Um, and, uh, I found that somebody who has that vegan discipline also will respect the sportsman discipline, but you have all these people in the middle that, you know, the worst case is, man, they'll eat, they'll bitch at you about hunting while eating a Big Mac. Doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Well, to wrap that up, we got a few housekeeping things we got to go over, and then uh, we'll get some closing thoughts and get on out of here. Yeah. So, so, well, before you start, right now, in the Unapproached Outdoors Nation group, you're hearing this like two weeks after I'm saying it, so hopefully, hopefully there's still time. Hopefully there's not. We're trying to get this 2,000 members. A little over 1,000 now, and then we're giving away a GPS. I just talked to you guys about it a couple weeks ago on a podcast. It's still up in the Underpressure Outdoors Nation group, the video. You get us there good and quick. I don't know. You know what? I gave away the Wood Duck decoys, too. I don't care. You can have those. We will mail them to you free of charge. We're going to go through randomly select one of the 2,000 members in the group, two of the 2,000 members in the group. First person gets the GPS. Second person gets the Wood Duck decoys. Free 99. All you have to do to win is to be a part of the Under Pressure Outdoors Nation group. But we would love it if you're hearing about Under Pressure Outdoors Nation on the podcast, if you'd write us a review as well on iTunes. And then leave us a five-star review because you can't write one on Spotify, but you can definitely say five stars and, and roll on. Yeah, we haven't asked for reviews in a long time. We have one that was left in, I believe, November. I looked it up today. Or August or November one. So... Before that, the last one was in 2021. It's been a while. Yeah. We need some more reviews. So, Jordan, you've got some housekeeping things to cover for the Swanee River Fishing yes. Expedition. Yeah, we just posted, what, a few weeks ago, the new Swanee River Fishing Expedition. That'll be May 3rd through the 7th. That's our three-day trip. And then your two-day is, uh, what, that? You're talking about the third to the seventh is is the the five day trip or five day, yeah. Yeah, it's going to Wednesday to Sunday, and then that is uh, would be the fourth to the seventh, fourth, fifth, fifth, fifth Fifth. to the seventh is your three day. You'll be on the boys. We just picked up twenty one new under pressure outdoors members that are currently awaiting approval. Yeah, right now. I just there you go. Twenty three, as a matter of fact. Um, they're rolling in. Yeah. So if you're coming on the trip, right. Um, we need, and, and we will put it in the event page, uh, in the event itself there. Um, we need $30 per person for the trip. That is to reserve our, uh, getting picked up and brought back to the vehicles. So if you don't have a canoe, what does canoe rental cost from the outfitter? Hundred and forty five dollars. Is that per day or is that to cover the entire the trip? Entire trip. And if you bring two people, you split it between two people. So two guys in a canoe, five days down the Swanee River. Um, and if you're gonna you know, we yeah. park in Swanee River State we Park. Park in Swanee River State Park and we haven't discussed possibly if you wanna come post I mean post to that event page, man. You can do it. If you wanna stay Tuesday night before I'm coming up. I'm staying Tuesday night. I can tell you that. I'm not driving there Wednesday morning. I may even stay. I may even be there midday Tuesday. I probably won't work Tuesday. Um, 
if you want to stay Tuesday, we'll get some prices for that on those cabins. Um, but if you're going to stay in a cabin, what's it, night two, we will be at Lafayette Blue State Park. Lafayette Blue Springs. Lafayette Blue Springs State Park. And it will be $50 a person. And as soon as we get enough money to reserve one cabin, we will reserve it. Right? And then if we get, as we get more people, we're going to reserve a second cabin. We have three cabins we can rent. If not, it'll be primitive camping there. But it's a good time. We had a really fun time last year, and uh, I'm looking forward to it again this year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when you say primitive, anywhere else on the river where anybody that's come before knows that you're in, you're in a pole barn that has a raised porch that's completely screened in, that has electricity, and at most every single stop, there's going to be you're running a, water and a shower. Yeah, you're in a screen room with a ceiling fan with an actual crapper and a shower. Yeah. Yep, and you're downriver, so when we say 50 miles, five days, you're thinking, man, that's a long way. No, you're floating 10 miles a day. You're literally floating 10 miles a day. And you're paddling to keep yourself right straight with the river. Some parts of the river get a little wide, and it gets slow, and you do yep. have to paddle through those uh, to make decent time, but you really, like, you want to float. float. At no way is it, it, at no time is it physically exhausting yeah so just having fun five days floating fishing having a good time with boys rob you gotta come down and join us i'd love to that'd be awesome that sounds i'm sitting there like just dreaming just floating down the river right now man yeah man may 3rd through the 7th i got a spare canoe in the backyard if you want to borrow one and come down you don't even have to rent one (laughs) gosh man i would be I'll, i'll mark that down it's, uh, I'm gonna text. I'm gonna text you for the date because my terrible dates. Oh, I am, dude. I'm, my memory is terrible. Period. <laughs> I lose my keys every day and my wallet. So that's not an understatement. <laughs> when does this come out? Two weeks from now. Will that be before the seventeenth? Uh, no. Bummer. Well, by the time you listen listen to this, we will have just finished the Charles Bronson WMA small game hunt. Oh, yeah. But then we've also got one in January coming up at Seminole My Forest. favorite one. Yes. that if, Folks, if you're listening to this and you haven't been there, that is probably your best opportunity for an honest-to-God small game mixed bag hunt. Doves, squirrels, ducks. rabbits, ducks. Um, I, don't, I don't... Have we... Has anybody busted... this year. You're going to shoot hogs? And has anybody busted quail out there? I've not busted a quail covey on in Seminole Forest. Uh, you know, I don't know that I have, but there's also a lot of Seminole Forest that I haven't been on still, yeah. too. Well, there's quail, the quail across the street. You ever get a snipe out there? No. I've but not. like I said, there's a lot of Seminole Forest I haven't been on. So past that, where we were shooting doves last year, I've not walked way down that road. I haven't been down that far side over there. Yeah. So. And it's just it's just an absolutely gorgeous piece of woods. It's true Florida true Florida woodland. And you well uh, pretty I true. I think if I've seen some I mean you get in palmettos down on the river, but Oh, there's lots of palmettos. There's palmettos down there. Down there. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. like the big palmetto flats like you see up in the Oakland oh, no. so you don't see that there. That that's a right. lot of hardwood <laughs> bottoms and palmettos and oaks. Yeah. Man, I've really only seen the uh you know, the beaches of Florida. 
uh, you know, that's oh man, talking pa- Panama that's, City and Disney. That's yeah, about it. You're missing well, Lauderdale. the absolute beautiful, breathtaking part of Florida. Yeah, yeah, that's the Riviera part. Um, and I love St. Joe and I love that area, but um, yeah, that's like I try to tell. I told a lot of people like, Central oh, Florida. From, you drive from Orlando to Tampa. You know what's in between Orlando and Tampa? Nothing. You know what's in between Orlando and Jacksonville? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at, at one you know point... You know what's in between Orlando and Panama City? A lot of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll put it before, uh, a long time ago, but Florida overdeveloped. Florida was the uh, leading cattle state. I believe Florida was probably actually a first state with cattle as well. Something like that. Really? Oh, before Texas, yeah. I think yeah, Texas yeah. quickly overcame it. But, yeah, Florida's definitely east of the Mississippi cattle kingdom. Uh, Beef if you, cattle. If you, even if you aren't from Florida, if you haven't read the book, A Land, was it a land, a land Remembered? Yeah. That's a that's a Florida, Florida book for you. And it's a damn good one. But closing thoughts? You guys? Man, I'm going to say uh, don't give up. There's yeah. uh there's been a lot of you don't have to give a tip it's a closing thought. I'm just saying one, that's just... that's just what I'm saying. Do do my my closing thought is man we uh, we had a tough weekend this last weekend and uh we still didn't give up. Didn't kill anything but uh I'm still getting after, it, man. Just just work hard. Put a, don't give up and put a lot of hard work into it. You'll get there. Jen, you got anything? I don't have anything earth shattering that's going to change one. somebody's life. <laughs> if uh, buy Gilly Puck and you can probably sit where uh, you should have <laughs> sat to see the deer. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, what do you got for us? Uh, you know, I just uh, I just want to express to everybody that um, you know I I wholeheartedly am, am doing this because it's something that I truly believe will you know benefit new and tenured hunters to kind of elevate their experience and really bring it to the the next level, whether it's getting 10 feet closer to a, to a bedding area, or, you know, if you're on that small parcel, like I was, um, whatever the case is, I mean, we're never going to stop improving. We're always an open door. So if you have any suggestions at all, shoot it over to us and we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. Um, to the best of our abilities. And, uh, you know, we want everybody, to not have to go through the the slow motions. We want everybody to get out there, enjoy the hunt and just, you know, really, really see what it's all about, you know, kind of, uh, kind of skip the, uh, skip the trial and error phase. And, um, although some, sometimes it is necessary in order to, and they make good stories, but you know, we want, we want everybody to, to just be have the best experiences possible in the woods, and that's you know what we're going to always strive for and uh, continue to do. I do have a thought. There's a lot of conservation stuff coming up in the future. We just touched on some of the things we're doing as far as small game hunting. Um, I'm taking on a role with the Villages chapter of Ducks Unlimited, uh, and they've got two. Really, we've got three things going on for them. We got to finalize dates, but I think that late February, early March, we're going to be putting out the wood duck boxes, correct, gentlemen? Yep. So that is a great opportunity for some hands-on conservation. 
that'll help increase our wood duck population, uh, especially here in Central Florida. I think primarily we're going to be looking around Lake County. Um, so please look for that. We'll get some flyers out for that or some uh, some things on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok to make it easy for people to show up. And I don't have the dates on the youth hunt, but as you know, R3 is a big thing that we do here at UPO, and the Villages chapter is going to be doing a youth hunt out at uh, Emeralda Marsh. Oh, boy, I can't wait for that this year. And this year, Will is not going to be. take my vote? I don't know. This year, Will's not going to be volunteering. No, nope, but he gets passed because he's going to be participating with Rylan. But guys, we really could use. There's some financial contributions that would really help because each kid that comes gets a set of decoys, a blind bag, and uh, you know we do solicit some pockets. But you know, and when you're asking for money, sometimes people say, "Oh, well, what what will my twenty dollars do?" Your twenty dollars buy a decoy. Right, and you say only one decoy. What's that going to do? Or we need a lot of twenty dollars donations. Hundreds even better, but they need donations for that. And then uh, there's going to be a Ducks Unlimited dinner. Uh, we were thinking it was going to be April twenty eighth, but Silo Oaks, uh, where we were going to have that, apparently has a conflict. So we think it's going to move up. But we don't have a finalized date on that. And I think we're going to be putting together a couple of UPO tables, where if you are a fan of this podcast, you'll be able to buy a ticket. Uh, and then we're going to try to fill a couple of tables with UPO folks, folks that we all know that have demonstrated. I mean, that's the greatest thing about having done this podcast is how many folks have we met that, man, it's like they only show up for the hard shit. Yeah. Right? You know, and it's like the, this would be an easy one. Throw around a little bit of money, come out and have a great time, eat a great dinner. Uh, there's usually bottomless cups mm. with a full bar. And... uh Plenty of opportunity to get some good deals on some screaming gear and trips and all kinds of things that are available at Ducks Unlimited Dinners. If you haven't been to one, um, it's a worthwhile event. We had a blast last year. Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, we actually ended up winning the guides table, uh, yep. which was pretty sweet. And then <laughs> after that, we're going to be doing, at some point, we're going to do a crawfish boil in May. If I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, it's going to be uh, mid to late May. We're trying to finalize the date on that right now as far as uh, having the the amount of crawfish available. And then uh, we'll try and do it real big this year. And that'll support another great charity, 10 Can. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you like hunting and you like helping to just raise the bar a little bit, making it better, helping to improve Florida, helping to improve conservation, and paying your dues in a way where you can say thank you or however you, whatever makes you feel good, we're helping to facilitate a lot of those opportunities uh, between the small game, right, right between now and May. We're pretty much offering something almost every month that people can come out and uh, and have fun with. So look forward to seeing you. Rob, before we let you go, uh where can, you know, we kind of brushed on your uh, TikTok and stuff like that. What social media platforms are you on? How can everybody find you? Yeah, we're on uh, TikTok, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. It's all under Gilly Puck. I believe TikTok, TikTok might be uh, under gillypuck.com. Um, but also, you know, the website, gillypuck.com. If you have any questions, uh, yeah, feel free to message us on any uh, any one of those. And, uh, or any suggestions, anything you want, you know, we'll, uh, we'll reach out as soon as we can. Sounds good.
Well, a name like Grand Champ, you know you're getting you're getting the best of the best, right? <laughs> I will always strive to do my best with that. Yeah. Rob, I appreciate you joining us this week, and uh, we'll catch you guys later. Yeah, man. Audio. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me.